Hello, everybody. Welcome again to Illuminate Church Online. Delighted to be with you, whether you're watching this right now at the 10 a.m. online service or sometime later in the week. I want to welcome you. Thanks for stopping by. We're in our series called Getting Off Track because the track that we've been on led us to here. And from what I'm seeing, not too many people are happy with being here. And so we're using this phrase, this idiom that's been thrown around for a long time, but it means a lot to us in this season that nothing changes if nothing changes. And we are committed to making some changes internally, externally, so that we don't continue down this same track, this dead end, lead us right back to here kind of deal. And uh, we want to get on the track of God's will, which is his good pleasing and perfect will. And to do that, to change from this one track that leads us back to here to this track of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, it requires one thing from us. It's what I taught in week one. It's called repentance. Woo! High five your neighbor. Hit the like button. Somebody comment. Repentance. It's an incredible word, and it just means that we need to have our minds changed about a few things. And when our minds change, our feelings, emotions, our mental, spiritual, everything else kind of follows what's happening up here. And so we need to repent and change our mind about a few things. If you've ever played the family word game Scrabble, uh, you've probably repented without even knowing it. You've had your mind changed. Here's what I mean. Let's say you're playing with somebody and they put down a word and you look at that word and you're like, I'm not so sure that's a word like an actual real word, and you use your challenge, like I challenge you. I'm not, uh, in my mind, I think that's not a word. And so the two of you, uh, the person who played the word and you, consult the authority, which is this book called the Scrabble Dictionary or whatever dictionary, and you find out the truth that Zorilla, not Gorilla, Zorilla is an actual word. Zorilla is uh, what they call skunks in Africa. Who knew? But in that moment, when you consulted the authority and looked in the book, you found out the truth and your mind was changed. You repented. I once believed Zorilla wasn't a word, and now I know Zorilla is an actual word. Praise be to God. Today, I want to help us all repent and change our minds about discouragement and defeat. And as I said in week one, the roots usually of discouragement and defeat are two insidious villains anxiety and depression. Nobody loves hearing those two words, but it's true. We often feel discouraged and defeated as we deal with anxiety and depression. If those words are too strong for you, then just plain out fear and sadness, that jittery blues kind of weighed down in this season. Discouragement means that you've lost courage, that I've lost courage. That's what it means to be dis. I once had strength. I once had faith to believe. And now all of that's kind of been slowly drained out of me until I'm at this place of discouragement and I feel defeated. In other words, I've just plain out lost my confidence. And I just want to speak directly to all of us here right now at the beginning of the message and say this. I am sick and tired of allowing the enemy to use and wield discouragement and defeat over God's children. I'm sick of it. Like how much longer, for how long should we put up with the enemy taking swipes at God's children? I'll tell you for how much longer. Not one second more. 
Not one second more does the devil get to lock us up with fear and sadness to the point that we give up living abundantly. Not one more second does the grip of anxiety and depression get to lie to us about how this is how it's always going to be and this is just going to be terrible for the rest of time. Not one more second will we allow the father of lies to speak his native language into our spirits. I'm getting fired up. So what I want to do today is consult the authority to have our mind changed by looking in the book in regards to depression and anxiety, discouragement, and defeat. If you have a Bible there on your lap, I hope that you do. Uh, John chapter 10 is where we're turning. If you're brand new to the scriptures, John is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. John is the fourth gospel. We're going to look in the 10th chapter And uh, we're going to begin in the first verse and read the first five verses. I'm going to begin. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Underline those two words. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Woo! Underline that and leads them out. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then look at verse five, but they, the sheep, you and me, we will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. May God bless the reading of his word. Today's message is entitled, Danger Stranger. Danger Stranger. Now, before you send me emails or tap me on the, make a comment, tap me on the shoulder, whatever, and tell me, hey, Tim, it's actually Stranger Danger. I get it. But I was thinking about this, you know? I hope you leave here today knowing this. Instead of feeling danger from the stranger, the stranger should feel threatened by the victorious glory of God, of the risen Savior, Jesus, living in me. Like, he should be repelled by the power of me instead of me being, oh, all the time about the enemy. I know that we just said that when we hear the voice of the stranger that we should run away from that, but stick with me. There is more than one way to run. So let's talk about anxiety and depression. And I just want to make a note here very clearly for a a portion of uh, all of humanity, there are some people who literally have like a chemical imbalance. Anxiety and depression for them is a medical issue, a biological, physiological thing that's happening. That's the, uh, the reason for the anxiety and depression. But for the vast majority of people dealing with anxiety and depression, including my own personal battle with anxiety years ago, it is a spiritual issue, no doubt. A spiritual issue. What's happening is our sheep pen that we just read about in John chapter 10 has been invaded. But today, this very day, we're taking that ground back and we are evicting the invader in our minds. That's what we're going to do as we repent today. In the name of Jesus, somebody hit the like sign and share this with your friends. This is important. Too many people are under the grips of anxiety and depression, and there is a cure for them in the supernatural, in the spiritual, in the name of Jesus. So let's talk about the sheep pen. 
that we just read about here in John chapter 10. The sheep pen back in Jesus' day was simply four walls, not high walls. It just had to be tall enough to keep the sheep in, right? And that sheep pen had one little entrance, one little gap where the sheep could come and go. The sheep pen was meant to be a place of protection, especially at night. All the sheep would gather together. They would safely be able to sleep and to rest, not worried about any of the predators. Why? Well, because of that little tiny entrance is where the shepherd would actually lie down and sleep right there at the gate. No one could come in or go out of the sheep pen without the shepherd allowing them to do so. Only the shepherd gets to open the gate. It's why Jesus refers to himself as the gate. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one gets to the Father except through Jesus, through faith, belief that Jesus is the risen Son of God, that he defeated sin and death. And when we believe on Jesus, we enter in to this place of his protection and his provision. The shepherd would sleep at the gate. That's very important. The position there, sleeping at the gate, or even just kind of resting there, whatever the shepherd was doing, represents two things. The first thing is ownership. He is the owner of the sheep, therefore he's going to care for these sheep, even lay down at the gate of the sheep, uh, at the sheep pen, to allow what's in and what's out. He's the owner, and because he's the owner, it gives him the second thing, which is authority. These are my sheep. I can do with the sheep as I please. And what's very clear from John chapter 10 is that what pleases Jesus to do is to care for his sheep. That's what he uses his authority to do. He could have done a lot of other things, but he decides, I want to have a relationship with my sheep. The sheep know his voice. The sheep are called by the shepherd, each their own name. And then this shepherd, Jesus, leads the sheep out to lead their lives. And it's this intimate picture between the shepherd and the sheep. And so it is for us. Jesus, we can know his voice and listen to him. It becomes familiar to us. We can be called by our own names, by the Savior of the universe. And certainly, Jesus can lead us out into our lives. This intimate picture, because Jesus is the owner and authority of our lives when we receive the invitation of salvation into a life with Jesus Christ. Now, Here's the opposite. The one who does not enter through the sheep gate, that thief, that robber who comes in another way, I want to be very clear. If Jesus is the owner and the authority, it means this other thing is not the owner and is not the authority. I hope you hear what I said. If anxiety or depression are visiting you on a regular basis, I want to let you know this. Anxiety and depression do not own you, and anxiety and depression have no authority in your life. Somebody say amen. So important. Anxiety and depression have no authority over you. Jesus calls the one who does not enter properly into the sheep pen a thief, and a robber, thief and a robber. And if you're like me, I read these things of like, hey, Jesus, are you the king and sovereign one and royal run, royal one of redundancy? Like thief and robber, why did you double speak and say the same thing over, right? Well, I can assure you of this. Jesus didn't misspeak and Jesus didn't just repeat himself for emphasis, emphasis, 
Not at all. There's a distinction between a thief and a robber that's very important to catch and helps us understand how the enemy works and how to prevent him from doing what he does. Uh, A thief, first of all, is one who steals by stealth. A thief steals by stealth. A robber, on the other hand, is one who plunders and pillages. So the thief takes what he wants or what she wants before you know it, and the robber leaves a trail of destruction on his way out. The thief steals your purity. The robber destroys your marriage. The thief steals your peace. The robber destroys your ability to function. The thief steals your joy. The robber destroys your desire to live. The enemy is a thief and a robber. When it comes to anxiety and depression, the devil himself has crept over the wall of our minds and begun to wreak havoc. Woo! How did this happen? How did this, how did this thing get into our mind space? Verse 1 tells us that the thief robber has entered by some other way. Well, how did that varmint get in there? That's what I'm asking. Verse 5 is the key to answering that question. And just a few weeks ago, I was in a meeting with Pastor Chad Hall, Pastor Christine Ingram, and Pastor Kim Teff's usually there, but he was out for other work. And uh, in this meeting, we stopped. We're like, there's so much going on. Uh, let's spend more time in prayer. We always pray, but like, let's just soak in Jesus. And we turned on some worship music. We closed our eyes and each of us are just saying, Lord, speak what you would. Speak what you have to say. And Pastor Chad said that he heard, uh, and the Lord led him to John chapter 10, verse 5. He said that his sheep, in verse 5, Jesus said the sheep would run from the voice of the stranger. And the problem is this, we don't seem to run anymore. (laughs) That voice that used to be a stranger's voice, we've allowed to become a familiar voice in our lives. It's no longer a stranger voice. It's like, oh, I kind of know this voice of anxiety. I kind of know this voice of depression, and therefore we don't run from it anymore. You know, I've said it many times. I've told this story many times, but it's my story. I'm not going to tell somebody else. I'm telling my story. At 35,000 feet up in the air on a perfectly safe, flying straight, flat airplane, I had a panic attack. I was suddenly horrified of flying. But hear me. That wasn't always true. In fact, in my previous life, the same life, but earlier in my life, I loved flying. Couldn't wait to fly. Get on the plane, soar up into the sky, look at everything. Uh, On our honeymoon, at the end of our honeymoon, Christine and I had to fly from Miami back to Tampa. And uh, they didn't give us like a big jet to fly from Miami to Tampa. They gave us one of them little puddle jumper, scary little planes with like 25 seats in it and just tiny, two propellers. You could kind of like see into the cockpit. It's like tiny. And not only was it a small plane, but we were flying home and the remnants of Hurricane Georges was just off the west coast of Florida, like just off the coast, headed up to like uh, Louisiana, Alabama, just like, going that way. And we were flying home the same day that that hurricane was right off the coast of Florida. And I'm going to tell you, that plane was bumping, diving. It was the most turbulence by far of any flight I've ever been on in my life. There are families on this flight that were gathered, holding each other and literally weeping 
wailing like, we're going to die. People are holding on to each other. I'm a brand new husband, not even a week old husband, and my wife is clinging to my arm and I'm being strong. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is fun. <laughs> it, was, it was like Space Mountain on steroids. Like I was like a roller coaster. I was enjoying this stuff. Well, so how did it happen that I went from that moment on my honeymoon, having this incredible flight bouncing all over to a very still flat flight, very peaceful flight just a few years ago, and I was terrified. I was scared to death. I'll tell you what happened. You, you, you've already figured it out. Somewhere along the way, this voice began speaking to me, a voice I should have run from, according to John chapter 10, verse 5, but I let it, allowed it, even welcomed it until it wasn't any longer the voice of a stranger, but something that became familiar to me, an acquaintance at the very least, and maybe even a good friend. All of a sudden, this whisper of fear and doubt about flying, as I allowed it to enter into my life, began becoming so loud that it shouted louder than the promises of God. And I believed the lie the invader, the thief, Robert, jumped into the sheep pen and stole my joy and replaced it with anxiety. Panic attack city. That's how it happened for me. Maybe it's true of you in a different kind of way. Maybe, you know, you used to wake up and feel purposeful and had a passion for what your life held. But today you wonder if getting out of bed is a good thing. You getting out of bed for you begins with a heavy sigh and another day to face. The thief robber has been lying to you in his native language. He's been saying to you, your life is meaningless that no one notices. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you used to be the life of the party. You know, you looked uh, and felt full of energy. And now today you kind of feel a shell of your former self. The thief robber has been lying to you as well, telling you things like, no, nobody really thinks you're the life of the party. They think of you as a fraud and a failure. And because of it, you've retreated. I understand that stranger's voice has become familiar to you. Or maybe uh, look at your marriage if you're married. You had this wedding day and all this hope and shine, and now here you are years later, and the enemy the thief liar, his voice has become familiar to you saying things like, uh, you deserve better, or he doesn't love you anymore, or uh, she's not worth trying this anymore. These are all lies from the thief robber and things we should run from with all of our might, but they become familiar. Acquaintances, friends shouting louder than the promises of God. I wonder today, what lie what inner vow has abducted your identity and mangled your spirit? It's a voice. It's the enemy who's invaded over the walls. He's entered into the sheep pen by another way, and he's come to steal by stealth and to pillage and plunder on his way out. Today, we're repenting from all of this, and here's how. Write this down. I want today to begin to make the devil's voice a stranger again. Not something we're familiar with and welcome, but a stranger's voice. When we begin to hear the voice of the enemies, all his taunts, all his lies, all his fear, all his depression, I want you to do one thing. Jesus said it in John chapter 10, verse 5. 
run, get out of there. Now listen, this is not fearful running, right? For you're not going, it's not necessarily that you're running from someone, you are running to someone. Picture this just for a moment. Let's pretend that you and I are sheep, okay? We got our woolly coats on and we're out in the field eating some delicious, delectable grass. It's woolly, woolly good grass. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. But it's good grass and you're eating it there. And all of a sudden, from a tree limb drops down this mean, ugly wolf, teeth bearing, and he's like, lunch, I'm gonna eat you. Your first instinct, which Jesus said to do here, is to run. But I don't want you just to run from danger. I want you to run to the shepherd. Run to the one who can care for you and protect you from this thing that's trying to devour you. So you don't just run amok and don't have any idea or direction of what you're going and you know, he, this thing may still be chasing you. Run to the one who can protect you. Run to the counsel of God's word. Run to the savior of your souls. His name is Jesus. So yes, run, but get to the shepherd. Get under Jesus's counsel. I want to put it in some more specific terms. Maybe this helps you to understand it. But today, let's start turning down the volume of the stranger's voice, the devil's voice, and instead turning up the volume of the Lord in our lives. And here's what's awesome. The Word of God tells us how to do this, how to turn down the volume of the enemy and turn up the volume of the Lord. If you want to flip over in your Bible to the right, you're going to get to the book of James. James is uh, an incredible book of wisdom. And in it, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, we read this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen to that. Submit and resist. Underline those two words, submit and resist. This is the process of turning up the volume of God's voice and turning down the volume of the voice of the liar. Submit and resist. Submit literally means to live under God's arrangement, to submit to the way that God would arrange your day. That's literally what it means. It means to be aligned with God in every aspect of our lives, to walk into each day and ask God, say, hey, Lord, set up all the furniture for me today. Everything that I'm supposed to experience, decorate the walls, arrange my life today. And when you've prayed that prayer and you've submitted to God, then your job for the day is to not redecorate. Don't rearrange anything, but walk into life submitted to God. No matter if it's a great thing that happens or a trying thing that happens, you say, Lord, I submitted this day to you. I'm not rearranging the furniture. I believe that you arranged it just like this for me to experience my best life. And not only that, more importantly, to expand your kingdom. So if it's a great thing, I'm going to celebrate and give you praise. If it's a hard thing, I'm going to celebrate and give you praise. Knowing that when I'm strong, it's because God was strong. And when I'm weak, God's going to show off his strength. Don't change the arrangement. That's what it means to submit to God. Resist, on the other hand, means to take a complete stand against. I will not be moved because I'm going to counter every lie with 180 degrees of opposite truth. So if somebody says to you, or if the devil says to you, you're nothing, you have no purpose, uh, nobody appreciates you, then you claim the truth. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days ordained for me have been laid out by God. So I'm standing in the face of that lie with the truth of God's word. And, uh, when you resist, 
the Bible makes a promise that the devil will fugo. That sounds like a funny word that I'm saying. And please don't send me any emails about what I'm about to share with you, but I hope it helps you remember this because it's so important. Fugo is the Greek word for flee. So when you resist the devil, the devil must fugo, flee. But the spelling of fugo is actually F-Y-O-O-G-O, F-U-G-O. So if the devil comes lying to you, I want you to stand up in your spirit or stand up in your cubicle at work and you scream at the devil, F-U-G-O, F-U-G-O. <laughs> That's what it says. That's the actual Greek word in the name of Jesus, fugo, flee, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. And God gave us a weapon to submit and resist with. It's called the helmet of salvation. It's found in the book that we call Ephesians, the letter that uh, Paul, a church planner, wrote to the church in Ephesus, the sixth chapter, the 17th verse. It's part of the armor of God. And when we put on that helmet of salvation, it does two things. Number one, the helmet exists to keep out what needs to be kept out. That's when, what we've resisted. And number two, the helmet is meant to keep in what needs to stay in. And that's what we have submitted to in our lives. When we have done so, it's in that way that we can fulfill what's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What's meant in stays in. What's meant out stays out. Submit and resist. I would say in general, even as people of God, we are way too lenient with our mind gate what we allow to enter. We just let anyone in at any time. Hey, you got a differing opinion? You got a secular opinion? You got an evil opinion? Come on in. Share in my mind space. I tell you, most days we give more room in our mind to a rant that we read in a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever uh, comment than we do to the actual word of God. We read something and it sends us in a tizzy and we've allowed, we basically thrown off the helmet of salvation and allowed the enemy, invader, thief, robber to turn up the volume in our minds. Woo! And it's time that we put on the helmet of salvation and silence, put on mute the enemy, the liar, and allow God's good word to marinate in our minds. Some of you may need to uh, get rid of social media forever. I know you're staring back at me like, what? I'm watching you on social media. I get it. When I say get rid of social media, here's probably what I mean and something I'm going to try to be doing in my life. I'm going to experiment in the next week with it. I invite you to do the same. Here's what I'm going to do. On social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snap, Insta, whatever, I'm going to try to be an influencer instead of being influenced. It means I will go and I'm going to post something and then I'm leaving. I'm not going to read a whole bunch of other posts, a whole bunch of other comments, read through news feeds that just fill my mind with the volume of the enemy. Instead, I'm going to go, I'm going to influence, and I'm going to leave. I'm no longer going to be influenced by that which I don't want influencing me. I'm going to submit and resist. Maybe you need to join me in that effort. I know this, once we turn up the volume of Jesus' words in our lives, I think we could relate to a story that Pastor Drew East, a member of our team here, shared with me just recently about a guy named Smith Wigglesworth. 
<laughs> Might be the coolest name ever. Smith Wigglesworth. Smith was a powerful man, a powerful man of God. He was an evangelist. He was born in the 1850s and uh, lived until about 1940-something. On one occurrence, this man, Smith Wigglesworth, preached for 36 hours straight. I've been going on like 36 minutes here. He's doing 36 hours, right? So he goes home, he's exhausted, he climbs into bed, falls asleep, and then he recounts this story. He says about 30 minutes after falling asleep, how he knew how long it had been, maybe he looked at his watch, I don't know. He's woken up by his bed and the bed is shaking. The bed is like moving all around and he's like jostled from sleep and he turns and standing there at the foot of his bed is Lucifer, Satan, the devil himself. Now listen, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the boogeyman in the closet or the boogeyman under the bed. This is the devil himself standing at the foot of Smith Wigglesworth's bed trying to distract him from ministry and to destroy him because clearly this is a powerful man of God. And so you know what Smith did? Smith Wigglesworth. He took a look at Satan and this is what he said, and I quote, Oh, it's just you. He turned over and went back to sleep. He had submitted his life to Christ. He had resisted the devil to the point where the devil was this feeble, distant stranger that he had no worry of that when the devil came to visit him in his own room, he's just like, oh, it's just you, lame sauce. I'm going to bed. And he rolls over and goes back to bed. That's what happens in a man. That's what can happen in you and I when we crank up the word of God, the truth of God, in our spirits and turn down the lies, reject the lies, run from the lies to the great shepherd and watch him transform anxiety and depression, evict them out of our lives. And I'm praying that for you. In fact, here's what I wanna do. And it's a little bit more forward than I would normally be. Normally I would just pray a prayer kind of anonymously and we would be done and what you were dealing with between you and God, you could deal with and what I'm dealing with, I could deal with. But I think we need to be more public about this. I think we need to make a stand right here in this place and say, I'm done with this. Not one more second will I allow the volume of the enemy to crank louder than the volume of the Lord in my life. And so I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm going to pray a prayer for those who today would say and confess, just like me, man, for too long, I've allowed the volume of the enemy to speak into my life, and I'm repenting. I'm changing my mind in this very moment. So if that's you right now, I want you to go to the comment section somehow and say, I'm repenting. And as you do that, I want you to know that we see that, which is kind of important, but mostly and more importantly, the Lord sees you making a stand and the enemy will also see you making a stand. I am submitting myself in repentance to the Lord and I am resisting the devil to tell him, Fugo, you must flee out of my life. So go ahead right now, typing it in there. I'm repenting, I'm repenting. And for all of you that are taking the bold step to do that, I rejoice with you and let me pray for you now. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are able to evict the enemy from our lives. That liar who speaks his native language is dead to us because you, Lord, are alive forevermore. 
We put our trust and our hope in you. We turn up the volume of the Lord in our life and we reject the lies of the enemy. If you go, he must flee according to the word of God. We believe it, we receive it, and we walk forward from this place into a new existence with you, our shepherd, guarding the gate, calling us by name, and walking intimately with us out of fear and depression into life and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.